0: This episode of Real Talk is sponsored by The Lawrence Dream Network. Welcome to Real Talk Radio, where we are bridging the gap between cool and conscience. With the call for change knocking at the doors of our schools, we'll be taking an in-depth look into the linchpin of society, the educator. Today, I'm accompanied by Marie Lizardo and Quinn Gonell, two educators from the inner city dedicated to their students. Before we get started, would you guys like to introduce yourselves?
1: Sure. Um, so I'm Mary Lizardo. I've been a product of Lawrence Public School Systems myself. Um, I've now been teaching for almost four years. And yeah.
2: Awesome. Uh, my name is Quinn Gunnell. I'm a teacher at Lawrence High School, starting uh, starting halfway through my seventh year now in, this, in the system. I was also a uh, <clears throat> product of the school district, uh, born and raised in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And um, graduated high school in 2005, went off to Salem State uh, miraculously, uh, and, and graduated with a bachelor's degree in history, and I became a social studies teacher.
0: Could you guys tell us a little bit more about your journey and what motivated you to get involved in the educational school system?
1: So I went to Lawrence High, I graduated in 08. I went to Fitchburg State College where I first majored as a psychology major. Um, and it wasn't until about halfway through my freshman year that I was not happy with my track and decided that I wanted to switch over to English. Then that very summer, I started working for the Andover Breadloaf Program that coincides with Phillips Academy and uh, Lawrence High School students and teachers. And after that, I decided, with the help of a few mentors, that I wanted to become a teacher. And then was helped after I got out of uh, after I graduated with my bachelor's to land a job at Lawrence High School as a paraprofessional first, and then as an English teacher second. And now, I'm almost done with my master's degree so
0: what's your master's in
1: uh, curriculum instruction and assessment so learning how to build the very curriculum that we teach and learning how to kind of bridge what our students need to learn with what our students are learning and making our curriculum more reflective of the students that we teach
2: okay so similar to Mary I, I didn't decide to become a teacher so halfway through my my bachelor um, my undergraduate experience and um, mostly what i attributed to my to my success in high school my you know like my the later years of my high school i was a successful student that's how i got into college obviously right uh but i was i was a an at risk youth my first couple years in high school and uh you know i was just following the wrong path i'm the youngest of um <clears throat> nine children and all of my siblings had encountered uh, you know, adversities that you know poverty related adversities that knock them off course, you know, whether it be getting caught up with uh, with you know, on the wrong side of the law or teen pregnancies. Uh, to make a long story short, by the time I was sixteen, I was the only one left in school or, or you know they're older, obviously, but none of them had graduated high school. All of my sisters you know had to leave because they were parents before becoming adults and all of my brothers ex- except for one of them um <clears throat> dropped out of school and you know we're dealing with various you know jail sentences or what what have you so you know this is you know me being the youngest these are my role models obviously you know there's nothing it, naturally they were the people i looked up to so i was also following in this path but then so, you know suddenly in around sophomore year I I got kicked out of school and uh so I actually found myself at a crossroads and I had to decide you know which which path I was going to take and luckily you know with the help of people who looked out um out for me and because I had a a certain degree of foresight I was able to r- realize that I had to choose a different path.
1: We implement changes and expect them to happen within a year where realistically speaking, you know, we have to give time. Like we already are creatures of habit. And whatever habits have been formed from grades, particularly in the high school spectrum, you know, whatever habits were created or fostered in the elementary, in the middle school, that's 12 years worth of habit creating time. And to think that those habits are either going to be altered or fixed or changed or completely removed within a, a year's time, well, that's not tangible for anything in any spectrum. Um, but going back to to the question, um, the question is one of the biggest side effects is a lack of consistency and a lack of stability. And particularly in demographics that we're working with and that we're part of, you know, lack of stability and, and consistency, that comes from home. You know, that's at home where you don't necessarily know if your parents are going to have a paycheck, if your siblings are going to have a paycheck, if you're going to have your next meal, or whatever the case is. Um, And to have that translate into a school system, well then there's less buy-in. Because as a student walking into a school going, okay, I need to have a job so that I can support my family members or my siblings or whoever the case is. I need to be worried about, you know, where my next meal is coming from, where I'm gonna be staying, this, that, and the third. You're walking into a building that's saying, invest, 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 your education is important, think long-term, but the reality of it is, how can you when when it's short-term? short term is survival that's the thing short term allows you to figure out your next step to figure out how you're going to survive and and this idea i mean when i was in high school you know college was always pushed on us because there was that long-term understanding and that's not to say that my family is better or had a better plan or whatever that's just luck you know what i mean that that comes from luck and um My mom understood from a very early age, especially being a single mom, raising three kids on her own, coming to the United States as an immigrant with me, and just her, and then my dad, um, she understood very quickly, like, you're not gonna get security unless you're educated in this country. Not because those are our moral beliefs, but because that is the way society works. And so she made me invest and understand that there is a long term that I need to be looking at. That doesn't happen today very much. and why it's not occurring, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but, but that's affecting a lot because, you know, how do you give stability when the system that you're in continues these quick fixes?
2: When you have politicians who literally rely on people not being educated, why would they care about improving education with policy, right? So um, that's the political issue. This, the, the psychological one is, uh, you know, there was somebody, I was just listening to a story on NPR yesterday where somebody was talking about how just human beings, at least in American culture, suffer from a lack of foresight. And he, the, the, the issue that he was concerned about is, is uh, climate change. And so they were asking, why is it that we don't do enough about climate change? You know, like scientists all over the world agree that this is an issue, but we're like not we just no matter where you look, there's nothing you can find that to prove that we're doing enough to to change it. And there's leaders, quote unquote leaders, who actually say that it's a hoax. Um, So this 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 gentleman actually believes that it's a psychological problem that we have where we don't there's something wrong with us where we don't think about the future as much as we should. And I think when it comes to education, this is a long-term thing. Like, if you do some, if whatever policy changes you make today, you're not going to see get that immediate, uh, instant yeah. satisfaction. You know, like yeah. policy that is in, uh, that is implemented today, you might not see the the effects until ten years or five years down the road. And people, for whatever reason, uh, aren't aren't about that. They'd rather see the quick the quick fixes. You know, the, and uh, education is not something that. Um, you can. I mean, we're trying to see quick, quick fixes today. Yeah. I think in Lawrence, more than and is a great example of that. And there's a lot of uh, side effects when you try to when you try to do those quick fixes.
1: I think a lot of times teachers think like, "Well, are the kids going to like me? Are they going to?" And one of the things is we have to remove our ego very much when we are fostering these relationships because it's not about us you know what i mean i don't build relationships with my students so that they can think i'm the cool teacher that's not it i'm fostering relationships because i have to understand that the reality is this might be the first or the only healthy established relationship that a child has had with another peer that is not their parent potentially Um, and that, that has to come from a selfless place. And it's not difficult because you just have to care. It's not hard, you know, at least for me, I walk into class on Monday morning and the first question is, you know, how were your weekends? You know, what did you do? Where did you go? Oh, your family went here, okay. It just comes from questions. You know, we, we practice, adults practice on a consistent basis how to establish relationships, whether they're acquaintances or professional relationships or whatever the case is, you know, we have practice in that and doing that with kids is not hard. We're just showing them how to do it. Um, but I think too, it comes from, it has to come from a place of vulnerability. It has to come from a place of removal of ego. And it has to come from a place of understanding that it's more about connecting with the student and exposing ourselves, as Quinn had said, to their realities than it is to, you know, to fix them or to build whatever. Like, it has to come from a place of understanding that we ourselves don't know everything, and that is okay. We, we're we not these all-knowing entities that walk into a classroom and our, the answers come from us, no. You know when we establish relationships with students it's it's for us to learn it's for us to know you know yeah it may have been one way when we were in high school but it's a completely different realm out there or it's a similar one but it has to it has to come from a place of learning
2: pre-service is not doing an adequate job of preparing teachers um especially inner city urban or urban teachers they are not uh for example one of the things that we've talked about it being an advocate for students, right? And unfortunately, for whatever reason, um, if you want to be an effective educator in a place like Lawrence, you need to be an advocate and an educator. Um, and there are many teachers who come into the profession without that, um, without realizing how important that is. Like, you know, like if you ask a teacher no, uh, who starts, No, no uh, If uh, are you going to advocate for your student? Like no one's ever gonna say no. Mm-hmm but um i i don't i'm not sure if they actually know what that means you know um we're talking about uh you know we're doing a lot of home visits now which is great but it's about the the need for educators to be to do outreach and like understand and gain exposure to the communities that they serve um, and that means like getting going out of the high school or going out of the school and going into the community, learning about the community, meeting parents, talking to parents, establishing relationships. Um, that sounds, uh, if, you ask, if you ask some people, they'll tell you that sounds like you're asking me to be a social worker. Yeah. And I, my answer to that would be, yes, I am. <laughs> um, and not to uh, take anything away from social workers because I think their job is very, you know, they have their own set of challenges. But what I'm saying is that more and more I'm understanding and I think Mary, you would agree with me, that in, in order for teachers to be effective in urban environments, they need to learn those skills that social workers have. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because we're not just educators, we're so many other things at the same time.
1: There was this research that showed, you know, the brain isn't completely active till like nine o'clock in the morning um, or something around those lines. And you know, we start school at what? Kids have to be in school by usually 7.30, 7.50 ready to learn by eight o'clock. By by nine o'clock, they're ready to move on to their second class. The adults that are teaching them have been up since five o'clock in the morning to get themselves prepped, to get themselves ready, Uh, having gone to bed potentially at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 11 o'clock for people who have kids. Um, And I always remember, so now that we have this new um, two hour delay system where school can start at 10 o'clock if, you know, whatever the weather is, whenever we come in at 10, everyone's happier. Like everyone is happier. Teachers, students, like kids who have never shown up to school all of a sudden are here awake on time ready to go teachers who usually are groggy and ready to fall asleep at their desk are now alert and good to go and that just goes to show you know we have to be we have to give truth to the facts of life right now and the facts of life is that not every student is going to bed at eight o'clock at night not every teacher is going to bed at eight o'clock at night and that's not because of their lack of investment or lack of want to be in a school system that's because that's life you know it's true, we work with students who, you know, have to be the head of their household. And I was lucky enough when I was a kid that that never happened with my parents, but that's a reality. That's, I can't look at my students and go, well, no, you can't work because what am I gonna do? Bring them into my home? Not that I wouldn't want to, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't look at every student and go, stop working, your education comes first, when the reality is that the student is looking at you and going, okay, well, where's my next meal coming from? and that's hard that's it's hard for us to look at a 16 year old kid because at the end of the day they are a kid and to sit there and look at them and go we'll deal we'll figure it out
2: as teachers we teach every day but every now and then you're going to come across um, students that um you're, you'll find opportunities for transformational experiences um so you and, and it's true that we don't know these things but uh i always say that if i ever ran a school I would, i would I would um, enforce a policy of like, every teacher needs to learn what's called micro counseling skills. Um, this is like psychotherapy. And you know, speaking of those social, social worker skills, I'm not saying that you need to be a shrink, yeah. but um, there's very easy things that you could learn, um, uh, skills that you can learn on how to talk to people when you're trying to help them. Um, this is not something that comes naturally. So a lot of people assume that they know how to help. And helping is actually a skill actually and, and as part of my master's degree I had to take two courses called Helping skills one and helping skills two um, which should you know which should allude to the fact that it's a big it's a lot um, and so one of the things we learned was micro counseling skills um, something called the six clusters of micro questioning uh, so the Rogerian approach to to um, to in, to interviewing people or talking how to listen basically um, there, there are many methods. I obviously don't know all of them. I'm not a psychologist, but by learning these skills, some of the stuff I was doing naturally, but I wasn't do, I wasn't doing it, you know, exactly the correct way because I didn't know. I was just part of my personality. I just knew that, like, hey, if somebody's, you know, seems like they're going through some pain, uh, maybe you should just listen to them. To me, that's natural. Um, <clears throat> but you could, you can definitely learn these things. And um, I think so. Just as a teacher, my seven years as teaching, my six full years, I've dealt with students um, who have needed, uh, who I've had to, you know, convince to go talk to the counselor because, to the, to the guidance counselor, because they are contemplating suicide. I've spoken to students who have, um, that actually, that's, that's happened on a few occasions with that incident, um, with that specific issue. Um, There's also, I mean, it's everything. Um, The other day a student, and this is kind of embarrassing, I would obviously never say the student's name, but this student needed help um, because he thinks, he thought he had an STD and he didn't know what to do. Um, You know, we're talking about a student who was also an ELL student who just arrived to this country a couple years ago, and he didn't know who to go to. He didn't know um, where to go for help. He obviously doesn't have money. Um, and he came to me, and I knew where to send him, you know, I knew, and, you know, these are things that, I don't know if teachers going, coming into the career realize that this is, these are things that might come up, like, you need to know, you need to be resourceful, you need to be a problem solver, um, and then that's how you build trust, you know, that kid knows that, and whenever he has another issue, he can come right to me, you know, I'm never going to tell him to go away, or I'm, you know, if I'm teaching a class, obviously, I'll say, hey, come back during lunch or something, but um, that's how you build that trust, you need a um you, you don't just tell them that you care about them you have to show them you know through your actions and you know when you when you help somebody most human beings when when they receive help from someone they tend to, to begin to feel more comfortable with that person um, there's an, a, another great example of a student who most teachers labeled him as just being having a negative attitude and so a lot of our a lot of our colleagues and even myself I'm very guilty of it you know we want we we, we We love to work with students who are bubbly and excited and happy and always smiling, right? Those are the ones that kind of like we feed off of, you know, they help the class get going, they set the tone, uh, they help everyone else feel comfortable. So whenever like mopey, mopey comes into the room, (laughs) Um, and it's just like this shroud of negativity. Like, it's like everyone notices, you know, and even the kids are just like, damn, what the heck is up with this guy? Um, it, it, create, it it affects negatively the environment that you're trying to create in your classroom. So most teachers, even myself again, naturally react negatively to this, you know? Cause it's like, yeah, he is messing up my, my mojo here. Like, you know, so we ha- you, you wanna address it, you know? And then obviously this kid is uh, in a bad mood like all the time. So you, when you, you, when, as you're about to address it, you know that there's gonna be some pushback. And um, so you, you, know, you kind of get your guard up and you're like, okay, we're gonna have to have this, this fight right now. And um, most teachers, when that happens, are just like very, again, naturally, because we get defensive as humans, um, react very negatively to that situation. And it becomes instead of it being a professional like situation with a teacher and a student it becomes a lot i've seen it many times it becomes like it's personal like beef Mm -hmm. and um i've seen so many teachers like seriously like go in on these students and that doesn't really i mean it might solve the the problem the immediate problem because you you can either one you can get that student to comply and then everybody's like oh this teacher's a boss right or two you can remove the student from your classroom, which again, solves the immediate problem, but what's gonna, what's gonna happen to that student? Um, you know, how is that student affected you know, after that? What's the long-term effects? The student might be disengaged even more after that. The student might end up dropping out because he's gonna be like, well, that's it. Like, this thing keeps happening over and over again. And the crazy thing is that I've seen administrators who I think are not effective administrators actually reward those teachers who do those things because after all, didn't they solve the problem? Then they solve the immediate problem they had a non-compliant student who's being disrespectful they addressed it they were the boss they let him know um, if you ask me no they didn't solve the problem um, and so there was a, uh, I had a student who, who fits this description who I was dealing with and then one day I was just like you know this is when I was doing my masters and I was learning about all this stuff about the Rogerian approach and how, starting up with empathy um, and I just, instead of, like, addressing the situation, I said, look, tomorrow when you come in, I, I see you want to put your head down, like, every day. Like, I can get in trouble for that, by the way, but whatever. Um, I'm going to leave you alone today, but tomorrow I want you to come ready to uh, to have a talk about your future. Um, and then he came in the next day, and we talked. And I learned so much about this kid. And it all made sense. Like, everything that, that he, his behavior, everything that he was... Uh, acting out in class was all that everything that was manifesting his class was a direct result of things that were happening outside outside of school yeah and so since the only reaction that any teacher has ever had is negative like i'm gonna yell at this kid because he's not doing what he's supposed to do nobody actually ever ever tried to talk to him Um, he was just having these constant repeated situations where he was just getting in trouble nobody ever like took the time to just figure out what the heck is going on uh, yeah, so just you know, not not to keep the story going, but he's had, uh, you know, he was dealing with some serious issues, like abandonment issues at home. Uh, he was living with his grandmother because his mom like kicked him out because she was um, she got a new boyfriend and she just was like didn't love him anymore or whatever, or they weren't getting along. So he had to go live with his grandma, who's this, like frail old woman. <laughs> um, with all due respect to her, but she's like, she's already lived, she's already raised her children. She's old. She's just, like very she's probably in her 80s how is she going to be able to raise a 16 year old grown you know grown kid you know what I mean like this kid is has all kinds of needs you know she's not capable of, of managing that situation so anyway I'm not going to explain every single thing that was going on with this kid, but he had serious things that were happening outside of school and we we weren't addressing it. We were just saying, "Well, if you these are the rules and if you don't follow them, then you don't you're not a good fit." How does that how does that help anyone? So then me and him ended up having a really strong relationship and he was it helped, you know, he was much better in my classroom.
1: I think that in urban education and in lower income communities, that's one of the biggest issues that we face is that we are very reactive we wait until you know the problem rises and all of a sudden well now we got to figure it out we got to rush we got to do this we got to and there's not enough time and we got to cut through corners and when the reality is if we would simply be proactive if we would simply start acknowledging the problems and start coming up with solutions as a whole for the problem well then now all of a sudden we're we're fostering tangible long-lasting change
2: there has to be an acknowledgement that schools play a much greater role in society than simply educating our youth. And um, once that once we get to that point, then I think we can start to design schools that are able to service students' holistic needs, not just the academic and intellectual, but, you know, uh, so the social-emotional side as well. In order to seriously address those needs, I think that there needs to be more integration between, you know, the community services and the schools. Um, I, I honestly wouldn't even... I don't. I don't have a, a, the exact answer for this, but I don't think that they should operate in separate silos. I think that there should be more, like these these organizations that, yeah. I think these organizations that exist in the community should have offices within the schools, and not just have offices, but like the 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 operations of the school should be um, in- integrated with these services. You know. Um, not just social services, but also DYS. Like the courts should be involved too, because the courts have kids um, that you know. Once the court, the, once the courts get get their hands on them, you know, it becomes an, an entire separate issue. Whereas the court, like a judge, can have a relationship with the school and be like, "Hey, I've got this kid who is coming up for trial or whatever, or, or some kind of hearing." like, what's going on at the school, like is, and then bring the parents involved and get whatever social worker is working with this kid, and everyone should be able to work together. That happens, I think, sometimes in rare occasions and extreme occasions, but I think they should be more natural and seamless. Like, these, these organizations and agencies should all be working with the school, and I think the school should be the center of, like, community growth, you know? Where all these, thing, all these people and all these agencies are actually working out of the school So, and you know, including families as well. Um, To, you know, like it goes back to that quote, it takes a village to raise a child. I don't think that, you know, a a lot of the responsibilities that schools have right now are things that are are manifest because of what's going on outside of the school.
1: I think students more so than adults are very cognizant of what's happening in the educational realm. They feel it, they are the ones who essentially bear the brunt of it all, you know what I mean? As adults, we're in the process, but they are the product, if you will, um, who feel it very much and and they're, they're much more, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, it's almost more palpable to them, um, but it goes in one of two ways. You know, you have the students who become very vocal if they have those teachers that are behind them, if they have those mentors, if they have the the, the surrounding kind of support systems that, that push them to say, yes, there's something wrong with this educational system. Yes, there is something that needs to be changed. And yes, we need to be a part of it. Absolutely, there are kids that are becoming more vocal. But I think that there are also another group of kids that we need to be very aware of that because of the way the educational system looks at them, treats them, the systems that they put them in or place on them, you know, they become apathetic. They sit there and think to themselves, you know, this isn't going to change. And I'm not going to change it because how am I going to do it? If the adults can't possibly aren't doing it, then how can I possibly stand up and do it myself? And and that very much connects to this, you know, the effects that having those, having educators who are not involved, this is one of those effects is that when you come into this you have to understand that we are you know a part of the process of creating change and that the more or the less lack of the uh, less investment that is given the more apathy you begin to foster
2: yeah my vision for for um, what the school system should look like is um, not just in Lawrence but in every urban district is um, we need to stop denying the fact that schools are not doing enough okay so there's this whole argument of challenge versus support where people are like well if you if you provide too much support then are they really being challenged and um, so then some people come in and as hardliners and they're saying what these kids need is they need to be pushed and they need to be challenged and we need to stop bathing them and then we have all the way on the other side where people you know they don't really think about the need to challenge students as much as they do uh, the the need to support them there definitely does need to be a balance but I think that we're we're so much more heavy on the challenge side even when you don't um even when people uh, many people would disagree with that for example um we don't so we have this alternative school that i work in now so technically students who are who are who need more support get sent to us however we are supposed we, we have just we the resources that we have are just maybe a little bit more than what the main campus has whereas we're dealing with students who have like s- sometimes severe mental health issues you know um where we have students with you know sev- severe depression um social anxiety disorder um schizophrenia you know what i mean and and so again like when it's when it's not that uh, that when it's not that frequent you can always refer to outside services for that but a lot of uh, many times uh, these these are the kids that drop out so again back to that whole question of like why do these kids drop out a lot of the, the people who believe in the challenge side they believe that kids are dropping out because we're babying them too much whereas it's like you take a student who has social anxiety disorder and you try to push them they're they're just they're just gonna give up even faster you know what i mean so the teachers that i work with we don't have training on how to work with students who have social anxiety disorder you know but they're still even if they're seeing someone outside of the school for help when they're coming into our school, we don't have the training to help the student be successful, you know what I mean? Um, but somehow, society still expects us to, to, to do something, to like to seek some kind of positive outcome and make sure this kid graduates. And then when the kid doesn't graduate, we get the blame. And so that's what I'm saying, Like when, it, when we're talking about supports, so that's, an, that's, that's what it is. So uh, looking at things from above, the supports and the resources and the training and all that is going to come from the top the people who make the decisions on the top and if they're not even thinking about that how is how are we ever going to get that change that we need you know
1: i think that the educational system is changing there is a change that's happening there's a shift that's occurring because the way that the classroom works now is not the way that it was working you know when classrooms were first like back in the industrial revolution when this type of system was needed when this type of system worked this system is outdated and it needs to be shifted, and it needs to be changed, and that shift is happening. We see it with the dropout rates, you know, hi- getting heightened, or we see it with you know our students may- being vocal about the fact that they are not happy with the way the education system is working. A shift is already happening. We just have to decide where we're going to stand as it's happening, and what we're going to do as it's happening, especially with this administration that's now coming up. Um, you know, they have very serious views on public education and very extreme kind of ideals and beliefs about the way that the education system should look. And it's up to people who understand that there needs to be a balance or how those things are gonna affect our students greatly that we have to make sure that our voices and our students' voices are heard much more so because, you know, we're only gonna be here for so long. And we already have to be looking at the younger generation and going, okay, so when you take my spot and when that person takes your spot, like it needs to be a handing down of a baton and a continuation. Like It shouldn't be one person or one teacher standing there going, I fixed it, I did it, because that doesn't exist. It needs to be a, this is how you create change, this is how you create progress, and this is how you pass it down. It needs to be a, it's almost um, with Obama's farewell speech, that peaceful transfer of power. That's what needs to occur. It it needs to happen in in this spectrum because I think that's how we're going to start seeing those changes that are ultimately going to make our students just better people and better citizens and better integral parts of our communities.
0: Well said. Thank you guys for joining us, and thank you for tuning in to Real Talk Radio.